I like I turned the mm -hmm. the AC off in my house and I'm sitting very still. Okay. So I okay. blame I blame you, Jerry Lynn. Okay, <laughs> it could be me. It's I'm always sitting Jerry's under fault. a blanket. This is Omo. Hello. Hi. Hi, I'm Chris. That's Jerry. That's Chris Jacoby and Jerry Lynn, and I'm Rosie Deloach, and you are listening to a listener feedback episode. But first, guys, we have been doing so much crazy stuff, and we need to catch up. I, I want to. Yeah, I want to hear what's going on. Okay. So, so yeah, uh, Chris, you are still working on that river fiddle. Yeah. Why, tell us what's going on with that. Uh, so it's a viola made in Saratoga, New York in the 30s by mm -hmm. a man named Hanel. Um, and he sometimes put labels from Niagara Falls in different places. But um friend of mine and client, Stephanie, uh, was coming back from Wolf Trap, which is like a, a concert series in the pretend countryside every year in the D.C. area. And whoa, whoa, whoa. there was a flash flood. Yo, yo, yo. Pretend countryside. Well, you know, it's it's just, it's this beautiful venue slapped between um, multi-million dollar uh, complexes of homes. Okay. That feels like you're in West Virginia, you know. That's, that's it's where you like have the all the, the country weddings, right? Exactly. Okay. And you, okay. And you pay through the nose for it. Okay. Um, it seems like I'm down on that countryside for not being poor or something. <laughs> I don't care. It's just like right there. You know, it's not it's out a in the lovely country. area. <laughs> yeah, it is. Absolutely really lovely is. area. So in that lovely area, there was a flash flood and a landslide. And my client's car got washed into the river with her in it. And uh, she managed to get out of the car. Good. And hung on to... Um, some branches on the side of the river while somebody else who had stopped kept her from going under till they could pull her out. And wow. three days later, her viola was pulled out of the river in the car and I've been restoring it the last year. Yes. You've so, got uh, a picture. So if you go on Instagram and, and just look at the hashtag river fiddle, you can see Chris's progress. And there's a shot in January where you just laid out, all of the pieces of the instrument. It looks like you took <laughs> yeah. apart physically every piece of wood that you could. Oh, I didn't. Ikea I didn't the river did. The river did that. <laughs> I didn't take it apart. Yeah, the, the IKEA viola. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I had it in a in a box with um, some cat litter at the bottom um, that was trying to contain some of its moisture while taking some of it out, and it came apart into its composite pieces on its own that first week linings, blocks, uh, the top broke into 19 pieces. Um, and I had to let it because it's then necessary to clean any fungus or anything else out um, anywhere where it chose to come apart. 
And this, folks, is why we build instruments with water-soluble glue, because mm. if uh, I really believe that despite this work, if it hadn't been able to come apart, um, it would have been lost forever. And uh, it may take a, another six months or a year, but, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be making music again soon because it was built the right way. That's awesome. Had it been tight bond or any other sort of adhesive, you'd be out of luck. Yeah. It would have just burst instead of disassembling itself. Yeah. Um, so that, and that's the first time I've ever cleaned an instrument. Um, the way that I did, I basically had to push antifungals and, uh, very gentle soap into the wood to then get it to expel the things it picked up. I mean, there's no telling oh. what uh, a flash flood picks up from uh, people's septic fields, from heavy metals, from uh, we're in the land of government facilities, if you want to get freaky about it. It's probably um, covered in antibiotics from the lake. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, the, the most frustrating thing to date is something which has maybe taught me the most about my own career and my own making, which is that um, the back of the viola, which is a two-piece back, one side, the wood is perfectly quartered. And that means that if you, you take a log and you split it like you're taking a piece of cake out of it, okay. rather than slicing it side to side. So pie... Um, pie. Uh, shape. Pie slice. Yeah. 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 Then you get the straightest grain possible. One side is perfectly quartered and the other is half on the slab. So it was cut off of that quarter. And the side that was half on the slab um, warped back out of shape like six times. And that after every step, after every correction with warm sandbags and uh, the weight of hammers and manipulating it into um, a plaster cast and then a Bondo cast, that place where the schooling I got, which I rarely follow as closely as I should, was not followed, which is you use the nicest materials you can, you quarter them carefully for stability, for longevity. Mm -hmm. um, that would have kept me from restoring this instrument even 10 years ago in, in my career because it was so stubborn um, mm -hmm. because the, the materials weren't chosen right. Um, so it's made me stop and take a, take a thought y'all yeah. take some thought about uh, the care I take um, in the materials I use in my instruments. If I really want them to be around in a thousand years uh, saying good things about Ah, <laughs> instead of yeah, oh, you, good look at look at all the corners that people cut. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You've always got to think about the next guy. Whether you're talking about in restoration work, how much wood do you leave at the bottom of a, of a, of a neck graft in the peg box, or yeah. um, when you're making an instrument, is are the materials that I'm using is it going to stand the test of time? Is somebody in the future? going to have an easy time putting this back together or not. Now, granted, this is an extreme case, but still, it, it's a it's an important reminder. So, Chris, Think about the next guy. When I see the photos now, the top is that was in what? Did you say 17 pieces? Se 19, 19 pieces. 19 pieces? Yeah. It's in one piece now. 
Yeah. And, and it the, looks like the, the purfling's back in. Okay, so it is back in. And the purfling is the the black lines that you see across the top that uh that trace the outer edges the of the edge instrument. Work. Yeah. Um so those um, several of those pieces fell out. Well, something in the in the water um, was aggressive enough with proteins. Okay. Uh, now the purfling is three pieces of wood sandwiched together and then inlaid into a channel around the edge of the top. And you use glue, which is uh, hide glues uh, made from protein. Mm -hmm. um, and some little microscopic critter loved that protein oh, so they had, much. They had a meal. Yeah, that that in the the, the only places where it's rare that we deal with rot, actually. Um, it's really it's really rare. We'll get woodworm in instruments, but it actually, they carried on from the purfling into the soft wood of the top. Uh, the back wood, which is maple, was a little too hard for them, so they just ate about a third of the purfling out of the back. <laughs> um, but so I had to build the edges back up where the wood had been eaten away before I, I disinfected it and then relay the purfling in. Um, and I had to resist the urge to carefully draw the purfling on and carry on, um, you know, for my respect for the instrument, but that would have been easier than putting inlay back into rotted wood. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing. It's really starting to look like a viola again, but you say yes. six months to a year still of work. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, it's a project apart from my my everyday job uh, okay. at Potter Violins in the workshop. Okay. So I'm I'll have the purfling back in the back this week. I have the scroll grafted, and then um, there's going to be contemplation time for. Um, and this is something the three of us got to hear some real masters talking about um, this last summer at Oberlin, Iris and Andrew. Uh, how much do you fix? How much do you leave of the varnish? Mm -hmm. um, it is possible for me to restore that thing to varnished the day it came off of Hanel's bench, mm -hmm. but that would take three years and would be wrong. Yeah, um, there's some patches that look like it's just bare wood now on, mm -hmm. on the face of the instrument. So, And uh, um, my, my client has been really... Um, has been really supportive about the fact that she doesn't want to hide that this instrument went through it. She trusts me when I, I say that I've, I've ponded wood and I've used treated wood and that I know that being reassembled carefully, this instrument will be stable and will sound good. Um, but that we don't want to fill and touch up everything. We, it, we need to leave it telling the story of, uh, Mr. Toad's wild ride into the river on some level. It will always be the river fiddle from now on. And she wants it to be the Merviola, but I already ruined that oh. by making the hashtag river fiddle. Merviola is uh, gentler, you know. Well, just hand it back to her with some flippers on it. Yes. It'll all be cool. Good. So you guys got to go to Philadelphia to the big Freeman's auction that we did an ad for. Yeah. Um, you got to see Mr. Stradman, Ben Hebert. Tell me about yeah. it. I, I really want to know. Go. Well, it, it was my first time meeting Ben in real life. We've chatted a lot on the phone and through email. And I got to say, dude, you're tall, uh -huh. Ben. I am. 
not you, Chris. <laughs> ben. He, he's he's a tall guy. Um, it was a pleasure to get to meet him in person and to look over instruments with him. Uh, Philadelphia is a wonderfully rich city in in its Lutheran traditions. Uh, I visited uh, three violin shops total, aside from Freeman's. I stopped on the way down at uh, Walmsley Violins in Haddonfield, and I got to meet uh, Ken Jacobs, who was a salesman for Wurlitzer, and I got to hear stories about delivering violins to Chrysler. Uh, I got to meet the wonderful Mr. John Safian, uh, who now is the the owner and operator of Walmsley Violins, and he's been responsible for some the training of some really good people in the trade, people like Sarah Gray and John Panaccio. And I heard about uh, Safian for years and I never gotten the chance to meet him up until now and to see his, his, uh, his tool making and his beautiful shop and the work that he's doing. Absolutely wonderful. Also got to see vintage instruments, uh, Fred Oster's shop, which I'd been to before, but always a pleasure to see. Oh, that's the absolutely prettiest beautiful. violin shop on the a planet. Dream world. It, it I is. I was like, why why is there not a movie recorded in this space? I bet there is. There should be if there isn't. Let's ask Thorell. Yeah, let's ask John Thorell. He's probably got a VHS of something. <laughs> probably. Anyway, I got to see John Thorell uh-huh. and Sarah Peck, who they're up in their the repair and restoration uh, room doing good stuff. Was right Ry- yeah. is Raya still there? Raya's there. She wasn't there on the day that we were there, gotcha. but she's she's great. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to hover over her bench. I was about to write her a note, but I mm-hmm. just got distracted. Uh, also went and saw um, Mount Airy mm-hmm. Violins and got to bug the people there. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of beautiful shops in and around Philly, and it was a pleasure to catch up with my friends there. Elizabeth Shock is a, is a fine human being. I love her she's, company. She is a wonderful, wonderful person. And that entire shop there, the people that work there are absolutely I want lovely. you guys to back up, okay? So you said deliver to Chrysler? You mean like the, the man? Yeah. Like Mr. Chrysler? <laughs> yeah. So Fritzy ja- himself? So Ken Jacobs okay. is 90. I believe he's 90. He's either 89 or 90. And... Uh, he was a salesman for both Wurlitzer and for Mennings after his time at Wurlitzer. And he had met and worked with Sacconi and all the guys that went through the workshop at um, at Wurlitzer. He had delivered instruments and sold instruments to a great many of the, I'll say the first half of the 20th century powerhouse players of stringed instruments. In and the in the states or worldwide? Yeah, well, in the states, but a lot of these people passed through okay. New York, and so they would come to World Series to have their instruments worked on or to buy something. And he got to work with a lot okay. of these people. Got it. And I'd say London and New York are worldwide. I mean, especially since the fall of the Eastern Bloc. There, but yeah, but yeah, that if you're in Manhattan, then you're seeing everybody from everywhere. mm Hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it was wonderful just to hear this. Um, I don't want to treat him as as, as a relic because he's certainly not. He's definitely still a, a vibrant member you, of the trade. Your word is resource. <laughs> resource. Anyway, so he... 
it was an absolute pleasure to meet him and and get knowledge kind of from a straight hand source. Yeah. I was there cool. when this happened. That that kind of nice. Exactly. And then we kind of so Ro- Rosie because we're we're still like glossing over stuff. We didn't really get to talk about the um, the vintage shop um, at Fred Oster's shop. Oh yeah. Uh, so when you open the door, it's you have to go up this set of stairs, and it opens up into this like gorgeous uh, atrium with uh, multiple staircases, and it's all like this arts and crafts, old wood styled, and it's beautifully restored, and. Ooh, it's older than that. Oh, okay. No, it's 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 yeah. Italian it and earlier. Okay, so yeah, nineteenth yeah, century. Yeah, before arts and crafts. It's just, but it's all this like beautifully ornate wood everywhere you look. Oh. And yes, yeah, Victorian period, mm-hmm. as I recall, right? Victorian Edwardian okay. somewhere in there. That's, okay, you guys are correct. <laughs> Thank <Yeah>. you. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm from Texas, and we just don't have anything that goes back that far. Oh, stop <laughs> it. You've got pueblos. Yes. So, uh, but, so you get these four square staircases that go up to the stained glass. Yeah, in the ceiling. yeah. It's and I didn't see any evidence <sighs> of this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it's definitely haunted. Just looking at that building, it's got that much character. <laughs> uh, of, of course, course you would, would say it's haunted. Uh, uh, Fred Oster in his. Am I saying that right? I've met him, but mm-hmm. I still don't know if it's Oster or o- Oster. It's okay, it's definitely Oster. Sure. Uh, just for like decoration purposes, he has these crazy one-off instruments that like don't fit any particular style. It's just like someone made this thing that's kind of a violin, but kind of a harp, but kind of this other thing. And he just he just has those like peppered throughout his shop. You can just pick them up, mess with them. I was fascinated. Yeah, ah, that was a fun place to be. I love yeah. it there. Uh, okay, so uh, what were you going to say, Jerry? I was going to say this was your first auction. It was auction. my first auction. Would you like to hear my experience? <laughs> I would love to hear your experience. Okay, well, I had no idea what it would be like to go to this place where there's like 100 instruments of varying values, some of them quite expensive and like hundreds of bows. I don't know if everybody is like showing up in a suit or a ball gown. I had no idea. I didn't know if I like went to the front, if they would be like, I need three forms of identification. And no, no, they take your blood. And if it's blue, you get to go in. Uh, They did take my blood, but just a little bit. It was very quick and painless. (laughs) Uh, No, they, uh, the lady's like, yeah, it's just on the third floor. Go on up. She didn't care who I was. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I just, I walked on in and of course there's like three or four people who work there and they're like, how can we help you? And I was like, oh no, oh no, this is when they know I've never been. And then I saw Sawyer and he gave me a hug and I felt like I belonged there. So uh, it was really no big deal. If you guys ever out there, if you ever want to go to an auction, a fine instruments auction, just go. It's super fascinating. And I get to pick up a hundred instruments and look at what was right with them, what was in disrepair and compare even some, like there were a couple by the same makers where I could, you know, look at both of them 
And uh, it was a fascinating journey for my eyes. <laughs> nice. uh, even there were some bizarre instruments there, which that's, that's my thing. I'm truly fascinated. Uh, there were some folk art instruments that just, again, didn't really fit the genre, but somebody stuck to it. Someone made a thing that was their own. Uh, I, yeah. I loved it. Uh, you guys ever go to an auction viewing on LSD? Not yet. I, I can't say so, no. Me neither. Oh. Well, tell us um, on your pretend journey to an auction on LSD what that was like. I, I really just sat in the coat room and held my knees and <laughs> rocked. There, was, there wasn't many, yeah, on my pretend um, journey. If you guys hear that, that's the trash man outside. Just having a hey, trash man. Him. Hey, trash yeah. guy. Is he wearing shorts? I cannot see him because I am under a blanket. So that's yeah. a shame. Uh, guys, while I was there, I saw this violin by this guy named Thomas Fawick. Mm -hmm. Fa Thomas Fawick. There we go. I'm going to eventually get these down. <laughs> uh, they just keep come. They keep happening. Yeah. So it's okay. Yeah, you're, you're, you're always going to run into the okay. names you can't pronounce or... Um, that was my first experience to just <laughs> pick up an instrument and then become obsessed uh, because nice. uh, and and uh, he's he's a lovely maker. But when I looked up his story, I was even more like, what is with this guy? He's like this industrialist who uh, it was too boring for him to just own two strads. So he decided he'd just make some violins as well. And he did this thing where like people when they make the neck of a violin they just it's just one piece of wood and uh and he split that neck in half all the way up oh that was the book match yeah neck. all the way up through the scroll so it's like exactly like two pieces of wood um and they're mirror almost exactly mirror so you've got like nice flame all the way up and there's no reason. So if you think about a violin back, yeah. how the figure in the middle yeah. meets like a V, then he would meet the figure in the neck going up towards the head the and same way. Peter Preer used to do that in the 80s. And that was one of the first things that really like rung my bell. Too. Yeah. I'm glad you, you dug it's it. It's totally unnecessary. Um, some people would argue that it like makes for more repair work if you have to repair it. Other people say that by flipping the wood, it could potentially make it stronger. Um, I just love that this guy was like, it's hard. I'm going to do it. It's, it's a way for me to put my signature on the instrument. That's extra other than just what's on the label. Uh, Did you buy the fiddle, Rosie? I, I asked about it, but it was not yeah. in my price range. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that's, uh, so that was your jam yeah. at the, at the yeah. auction. What was, do you did when you guys spoke to our friend Ben? What did Ben really get get a buzz yes. from? Champagne. <laughs> he gets no <laughs> kicks from champagne. Uh, you know, I didn't ask Ben about that. What he was interested in, he was um, he was just going around looking at stuff, and I think that might be a, a trait that I mean, even I've developed when you go to auctions and you look at stuff. If people know that you're into a certain type of instrument, if you spend too much time oogling at it, uh, <laughs> they think it's it, it, worth buying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Uh, so, you know, Ben was very casual and a very, uh, very sociable, but he, we weren't really talking about instruments with Ben. We were too busy just talking to Ben. So I don't know. We'd have to ask him. And what, what blew your hair back, buddy? Oh boy. Uh, well, I, I did end up buying. That was like buying. an exhausting question for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was exhausting because auctions and even instrument study groups, when you go to the VSA and there's instruments out on tables, uh, they're almost overwhelming because there's so much stuff to take in. Oh, I and get tired like I've like I've been walking all day. You get tired. And uh, there was a Betts workshop violin that I actually managed to grab after the sale was over, oh, I made cool. an offer on it and I got it uh, because I have a client with a matching viola who is interested in getting a mm. violin like that. So that's what caught my eye and that's what I was lucky enough yeah. to score. Nice. Yeah, it was a fun experience. I would definitely go mm. again. 10 out of 10 would auction yeah. again. And it felt, felt very fancy <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. Nice. Right. Well, Rosie, I mean, wow, dude, you guys are like traveling around the country, it's, buying fiddles. Yeah. It's been a yeah. great night. So you went to, uh, <laughs> Rosie, you went to Learning Trade Secrets. I what was that go, like? Guys, it was, um, it was amazing. I, I mean, I am really uh, just catching my breath after this month. I've been gone too much, but it was what class did yeah, you take? Yeah, it, it was worth going. I went to the advanced setup class, which if you are someone like me who has immense experience in setting up rental violins all day long, uh, you learn a certain way of like the basics of we need this bridge to perform decently. Um, but there's this whole other level when you're setting up your showroom instruments, when you've got a nice restoration piece in and you wanna get that final edge of, of the nicest possible sound out of it. There's a way of carving that bridge. There's a way of getting that sound post just perfect. Um, even, you know, I didn't know a ton about uh, making sure that the uh, fingerboard was like curved a certain way. I mean, I know like how to make it not buzz, but uh, there's more to it than that. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. so uh, that was really perfect for me to get some of those little holes in my knowledge uh, worked out. And I feel like I've got a more thorough education of, of what to address. Uh, and my instructor cool. was a fellow named Tom Crowen, who was the nicest, kindest human. And uh, Tom's a good yeah, guy. yeah. You know what Tom does when he's making a violin and he makes very fine violins. Um, sometimes in the, um, the neck block that, you know, you're not supposed to see for like a hundred years or something, ideally, he'll like write a little limerick in there <laughs> or, or draw like a little cartoon face, uh, which is just my kind of style. Like what a great person. He's also like really meticulous about making something nice, but, um, at the end of it is just going to take that little effort to make someone smile someday. I have a story about Tom and limericks. You do. I do. I mean, I didn't know he was a limericist, but uh, I I wrote a 
bunch of really dirty viola limericks and took them to the Oberlin Makers Workshop one summer. Oh, God. And then... No. Um, Can we go here? To Oberlin? Yeah, yeah. It's a few weeks, no, buddy. No, a few weeks. No, no, and no, then, no. I mean, and then, these limericks. Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to read them unless you guys ask okay. nicely. <laughs> I'm not going to ask. No. But, uh... <laughs> So the idea was to like hand them out to the other makers at the big Friday party with the bow makers carefully. And instead um, they were handed out willy nilly to everyone without me being part of it. And some folks that are more uh, conservative um, and that that's not a bad word at all. Folks that don't want to be reading dirty limericks such as Tom got really, really racy ones. And, uh, we're disappointed in me. <laughs> and I just remember looking over and there's there's like uh, David Foland and Tom Crowen and uh, and a few other of, of the old guard whom I respect a lot, like had little slips of paper and just looked up at me like I'd kicked a oh, kid. No. You know? Well, I did ask him if he remembered the Limerick incident and he said he didn't. So another Excellent. reason why he's a lovely human. He's just not going to let Excellent. that get in his way of liking a person. <laughs> <laughs> but he had a way of, you know, I, I, I bring my bridge to him. Like I did several bridges during that week. And uh, he had a really kind way of saying, okay, uh, this is the tool that I use for this. The, this is the way that I mark this. And um, could, could pull that extra bit of work out of me, you know, without just totally ruining my ego. Um, the thing, awesome. the thing that ruined my ego was that there are some 20 somethings in there that just had it all down already. <laughs> they, they got it done faster. They're more thorough than me. And I was just trying to keep up. Uh, but you know, for perspective yeah. though, yes. Rosie, having, having been on both sides of sites <laughs> of that coin, you're, you're touching upon, um, it's much harder to run a successful shop with a rental program and keep yourself afloat than it is to have big ideas about how good your mm -hmm. work is. Oh, that makes me feel really good. So don't okay. Don't be unproud of yourself. It's it's right. uh, yeah. You're doing great things. Well, I mean, not not everybody needs the the most absolute amazing setup. They need something that's functional and to have a shop that's doing well uh that's something to be extremely proud of those 20 somethings i doubt have you guys yeah lovely. forget you guys. I love uh, you guys no they were great everyone there was awesome um i think i mean i don't know but it feels like where i came from i got so much out of that class uh being a person that uh didn't go to school um that wanted to get that extra ounce of education um it it was it was a great experience for me. So if you're someone out there who feels like an outsider, um, don't let fear get in the way of you trying one of these classes out. Uh, you cannot great. lose. And the teachers there they are there to help you, not judge you. Um, and I will say, um, stay tuned for the end of this episode because um, we they do have a class coming up on retouching varnish. And uh, we have a lot of yeah. details about what that covers and who's teaching um, so we can uh, help you get started. Yeah. Good. Great. Okay. So how about some feedback? Yeah. Um, 
we let's actually that's my Jerry Lynn let's actually voice. do some feedback. Oh, needs to needs to be deeper, dude. I can't. Some feedback. <laughs> uh, and now it's time for feedback. Go. Well, one thing that was actually um, relevant to the women at the bench episode, uh, it I didn't really get any people like. Uh, no one was upset with it. Nobody really had a whole lot to say. It was just like, cool, cool that y'all did that. Uh, but uh, one woman who was a friend of ours, she out of the blue sent me a video of her walking up to a loft space of basically like a small performance amphitheater. So a loft space, it's got like a half wall. It's not a separate room. There's a half wall and then she goes and walks past this cloth divider screen. And she's like, yep, this is my pump room. <laughs> oh, for breast milk. <laughs> and if right you on. look across at the far end, there's still a window up there. <laughs> and then, so, Aww. and she didn't seem upset or anything. She's like, that, that was just the reality of it. I would come up here. I would have to pump. I would um, answer emails and phone calls. And then go back down to my workbench. <laughs> yeah, that's our life. Good sometimes. for her. What's next? Next, we got an email from Jonathan Vacanti, and he says, "I'd love to hear an in-depth discussion about antiquing new instruments." He goes on to say, "Please no ah. quick overview." <laughs> He's hoping for hours of content. So, <laughs> so Jonathan, yeah, we agree with you. Yeah, we are we are tentatively planning a varnish episode in November, but to hold you over, Chris and Jerry, can you can you drop some knowledge that is not a quick overview? Oh, man. This is a really in depth. I mean, question to even get a a quick something. I mean, are you talking about the psychological aspect of antiquing a new instrument? Are you talking about process? Are you talking about markets? Like what sells where? Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. So I guess that's part of the question that we need to, to look into for when we do the episode of how many of these angles can we put in there? And I, Chris, mm -hmm. you had a story um, about a friend of yours, these rules for antiquing. Yeah. What were those? Uh, this is the the fabulous Antoine Nedelec. He probably won't like the word fabulous, but uh, his rules for antiquing were have Jeff Phillips on speed dial, <laughs> use chemicals, and lie about using chemicals. So there's there's a good there and, go. and and the, that is that's funny shit, but that is a solid base for navigating the things that Jerry touched upon, the psychological issues people, markets, and the industry have with mm -hmm. antiquing are rabid in different ways. Like, well, you shouldn't be doing it. You're disrespecting the art you'll get, or you'll get from a market or a dealer, well, I can't sell them if you don't antique them. Um, so having yeah, a, a stance on uh, what is or isn't to be done is the privilege of someone who isn't staring down their bills resting on that instrument coming off the bench. Mm -hmm. Because I felt in school that antiquing was stupid and I was a loud mouth about it along with everything else. Yeah, 
And then what? I got out You're of school me. and uh, I, 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 I had to pay the bills every month. I have kids. And guess what was coming back from the shops I was sending it to were the instruments that I was proud of because mm. I wasn't getting into the mud and antiquing like a fool, like the rest of it. And so you start doing it. And then when you start doing it, it becomes fun mm -hmm. because it's a game. Mm -hmm. There is yeah. some misunderstanding, I think, still, which won't ever go away, that um, instruments can be faked as old Italian. And uh, therefore, this is a dishonorable tradition. Um, <clears throat> and really, you're not going to get the, the world's too small. The experts are too good and have too much access to materials. You're not going to get something past uh, a serious inquiry. There are ways to be dishonest mm -hmm. um, in small bursts and small flights. And people choose instruments which are much more easily faked than the Cremonese, of course, and get away with it in small ways. But really, it's a, it's a way of flexing your muscles and showing off your plumage if you can understand and replicate the wear of time and more so the wear of restoration by people who do what we mm -hmm. do. Most of the damage you're seeing fixed was caused by other things being fixed. And I, I see that more every year. Yeah. Yeah. I spend most of my time okay. reversing carnage caused by other people. You damn right. I spend a small amount of my time reversing carnage caused by me but uh, that is also necessary, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, a, a lot of a lot of our work is uh, something comes in that isn't sounding good, or the neck keeps falling because they already had it fixed, and then you have to fix it without running your mouth about exactly what was done by whom and how disrespectful you are of them because a lawsuit will come knocking. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Well, antiquing has been going on for a very long time. It's not a new phenomenon. Uh -huh. And I guess that goes into, um, you know, people have a taste for older instruments. And where do you... How long do you think antiquing has been Since going the on? first Steiners got to London. Since the first yeah. Yamatis got to, okay. to London and Prague. Yeah. Um, yep. So, I mean, it's okay. late 17th yeah. century. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Windle, uh, Bindle out there, uh, you, you uh, tell me who I need to cover. For Hi, Robert. For this, okay? Hey, Rob. <laughs> I saw Rob. I saw he put a photo up of himself in Crocs, and I got to say, you, you got some nice ankles, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. going to hate me for that, maybe. Um, eh. I think you'll like it. Okay. So antiquing, uh, I mean, I'll, I, I really, I think you guys will notice that um, one of my heroes is Antoine and uh, the work that he did when I was trying to figure out how to become a refined luthier around me and his advice uh, gave me some standards, which I've, I've tried to work with. Uh, he's also a hell of a funny guy, uh, which, which appeals to me. But the thing he kept saying when people tried to have this conversation about, is it right? Is it wrong? Is it is it terrible? You know, he's like, if the instrument looks good, then that stands on its own merit. I'm doing this because it appeals to me. Yeah. yeah it looks mm -hmm. good is good. Yeah. So an actual luthier doing something that they enjoy and it translates to that sales. is That's fantastic. awful. 
How dare you? <laughs> How dare they? <laughs> okay. Was that uh, was that too quick? Did we cover? Did we make it not a quick overview? Yeah, I think it was still pretty quick. This could go quick. on forever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I need a drink. Oh, okay. We'll go on. No. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it from Paul okay. McAvoy. Um, John. Yeah, Jonathan, I'm making I'm making fun, but um, I totally agree with you. We want to cover this in depth, um, and please stay tuned. Okay. Uh, yeah, Paul McAvoy. Uh, Basically, he says, how does it all work? Violins don't really wear out. And so new violins are competing for sale of old ones. Also classical music. And I quote, does not seem to be in its heyday either. So guys, for part one, violins don't wear out. I give out, a thousand right? year, uh, you know, warranty on my instruments. Yeah. Good, as you should. <laughs> Well, I, uh, wearing out, that's an interesting term. We're at the stage now where there really isn't anything we can't fix. Mm -hmm. It just comes to the point of, is it worth it or not? Mm -hmm. uh, it also mm -hmm. comes to, <clears throat> to, to, to being as if you're fixing it and you're, you're not being conservative, how much of the instrument is really the instrument? My, my grandfather's ax. Yeah. The quandary with that. I mean, this is my grandfather's axe. It's had mm -hmm. two different heads and three different handles. This is still my grandfather's axe. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the really yes. old Brescians, which are the the birth of old, the birth of cool. I don't know what I'm saying. But like the Zanettos out there that were made in 1520, 1540, um, they have yeah. a skin of original material over completely new insides. So I believe that they still count. So they've, so they've replaced the blocks. They've, they've doubled and the feathered the they've the ribs. Done. A lot of the ribs are new. Yeah, the tops have been cut down, recut up, have been breast patched, sound post patched, new bar, um, you know, new neck. Basically plywood. I think that yeah, tone wood ply so, sounds good. So we're so people like you are you guys are staying busy doing restoration work on those old violins that are wearing out yeah i mean the, the question that he's asking again is also not an easy or quick one uh a, a lot of yes there are people making new instruments and to to go to his next question i'd argue that there's more people playing violin today than there ever has been in history yeah yeah, yeah, there is an increase in population. Sure. And classical music, if you want to look yeah. at it as, um, let's just define it as Western art music, has never been uh, a, a, a major, major popular force. We like to think that in the heyday of, of, of the great composers, that it was this thing that was really popular, but in, in reality... Like Robert Plant? Probably... Yeah, yeah, definitely wasn't Robert Plant or Jimmy Page or anything like that. The this was stuff that uh, these guys that were writing this music and performing this music they were never doing extraordinarily well. Uh, so the violin's popular because it's an extremely versatile instrument. Yeah, it finds its way from yeah. jazz, rock, pop, um, classical. Yeah, um, Paul, they're yeah. they're everywhere. If you are if you're watching, 
our friend uh, Raman Philip, you know, he he showed a shot recently where he was playing violin mm-hmm. behind Lady Gaga. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh, Lady Gaga. I think that oh, the, this question is something that gets handed like a a Lego piece around, and it's the question is trying to fix a problem that doesn't exist, which is if the violins from an age, which is gone and people aren't playing violin music, what place is there for it in our future? And I mean, Mm -hmm. every year there's another 10 million kids starting Suzuki and human beings are Mm -hmm. adaptable. And if, uh, I mean, I I spent my early Mm twenties, um, heading terrible bands that were terribly fun where I played violin and sang in front of slap bass players or hip hop trap drummers or middle Eastern singers. Like as, as Jerry said, the violin's so versatile, there is no bar to it, um, to it being used anywhere. Indian classical. I I trained briefly in Indian Mm -hmm. classical and I had to stop because of the different scale system. I would hear my E string was out of tune when it was tuned properly to our Western scale. Uh, it's there, there's, there's nothing going to stop new violins from being snapped up at a rate that'll surprise anyone. And a lot of people play. Um, that sounds like a whole other episode. I never Ooh, knew freaky. you were learning yeah. Eastern style. It's freaky. <sighs> okay. A lot go of ahead, people <laughs> also play instruments for their own amusement like never mind listening to the violin being played but playing it themselves is a form of release a number of my clients are attorneys or physicians and they're playing violin not in an orchestra or not in a chamber group or not in a a folk music group they're playing it in their office while the rest of their staff is at lunch because it's where they find solace yeah and that's more common than you think. Yeah. I have a I have a few clients that are in their retirement using the violin as a way to hold on to their fine motor skills or as mm-hmm. their hearing is going to hold on to what they miss about being musicians in their former lives. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's lovely. It's sad and lovely. And if you look at, again, I mentioned physicians, if you look at places like the National Institute of Health, which is right down the road from you there, Chris, Mm -hmm. uh, I believe they used to have their own orchestra. Yeah. Music school is the gateway to medical school, to law school, to you name it. There's a lot of people that have gone through music school first before they've gone on to other things. And then they don't make any money. So they go back to school. (laughs) Well, They they never intended to, they just used it because this is, this will get me an undergraduate degree. This will get me the ladies. Yeah. That's not worked for any violinist since the, 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 well, maybe it worked for you. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) So, so if we're summarizing, violins are not out of style. We are, doing, are not out of style by a long <laughs> If shot. we're doing this, it's because there's a market yeah. for it. We're we're making money doing this, and we are so we bit. are blessed yeah, in America because the market, especially for new instruments, is so good right now. I think that Europeans are having a much harder time, mm-hmm. uh, uh, unless you're winning awards and then often they're sending stuff to the states if they're winning mm-hmm. awards. Uh, Europeans are having a much harder time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
placing new instruments. This has been a problem for guitar makers uh, across the pond for 10 years, but um, our market is much healthier and more accepting of old instrument of new instruments than old, um, perhaps just because of the sheer weight of old instruments in Europe. That could be a misled feeling okay. I have, but um, I know that German makers bring their stuff to Philadelphia and New York um, to unload them wholesale and are quite pleased that we have so many people buying new things. Yeah. 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 Um, speaking of the way it is in the West, do we want to talk about this one email? I we think got? we should. Okay. Okay. Uh, one fellow was really upset with us that we're not covering more of um, the Western market of, uh, you know what? We know Wait, each other we're not over covering, here. Let's, let's we're covering too of much Americans. of the Western market. We're, <laughs> we're covering too much of America. Uh, of America, yeah. I'm sorry. I am not distinguishing. I want to say, when I'm saying Western, I mean uh, Europe. Uh, and and it was, he's upset that this is just a lot of Americans talking about their American well, Let me put my gun down and address uh, this. Yes. I don't have a gun, okay? I don't. I don't have, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I've got three right in front of me. Well, you are in Texas. Texas. Yeah. Well, okay, so the, the the gentleman was complaining that it seemed to be very much an American-centric podcast. Mm -hmm. And yeah, sure. well, let's look at this from a broader perspective. Uh, all three of us are volunteering to do this. None of us are getting rich. Yes, there is an ad that is in each episode, but that goes to cover our, our hosting expenses for the website, our domain fee, mm -hmm. our use of the voiceover IP that we use to record this. And yeah, I sent you guys an, an update on our um, income and expenses. And for the year, we're only in the yeah, red $30. So. Fantastic. Look for some merchandise and a Patreon from us in the near future. But but anyhow, yeah. If you'd like to support us, we'd be so happy. But anyhow, about uh, a lot of what the content that you are hearing, a lot of that was also recorded before we went, even went live. Mm -hmm. So we yeah. needed to lean on people that we had access to that were willing. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's willing to talk mm -hmm. on a podcast, and so yeah. Yeah, I, and I think this, is, this gentleman in particular uh, was concerned that we weren't discussing his heroes who were makers in Europe. And a number of the names mentioned are, are colleagues and friends of mine, and they are fantastic luthiers. But, you know, we, we talk about what we know. And uh, I don't know if, if, mm -hmm. uh, if the perspective of how stinking big this country is gets over. I mean, every one of our states is, is another nation state in size. And we have a lot of violin makers here in the States, not saying Absolutely. that they're better than the Europeans, yeah. but uh, that'll cause trouble. So I think we, I think we can <laughs> allude to in, in the near future, there will be a trip outside the U S for the podcast. Promise. Uh, however, it won't be. What? Are when? we going to do that? Jerry, are what? you paying for this? No, I'm talking metaf Let's metaphorically. <laughs> Damn it. Boom. Oh. We, we, we aren't going anywhere. Let's go but to the, Cuba. The subject, well, you're getting close to where we'll be heading, uh, but the subject of the podcast will be going outside of the, you know, the U.S. Ooh. in, in yeah. the near future. 
Uh, likewise, we've got to apologize to all of our Bowmaker friends. No, we haven't forgotten about you. Yeah, I did. I, I forgot about Oh, you them. know what? I got to say one more thing that I meant to mention. Uh, Rodney Moore, the guy who founded Learning Trade Secrets, mm-hmm. he is a Bowmaker. Mm-hmm. His daughter is a Bowmaker. A big part of why they started this program is because they couldn't find a place where they could either send people to train or they themselves could train to learn how to do bow repair or bow making. So they started this class and they, in an effort to be inclusive of us who work on violins, they're providing training and classes for us. Um, so thank you, Rodney, for, for creating this. Uh, and uh, hopefully we can get him on sometime to talk about uh, making violin or making bows uh, restoring those and mm-hmm. learning more about that world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, any anything else, guys? We, did we do I this? We did, it. we done did it. We did it. Um, guys out there, we would girls love too. to hear from you. Jeez. And girls, and yeah. bow makers, <laughs> tell us because they're their own species. <laughs> and sexual bow makers. Tell us. Uh, yeah, yeah. Tell us the most awkward time that you said you were a violin maker and the person heard you were a violence maker. <laughs> oh, I, 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 I had um, a nice, uh, the, I'm sorry. I'm just going to, I'm going to walk all over you with a, with a joke. So I heard from the practice room the other day, one person mm-hmm. say to another, I'm really enjoying the depth of your lower end. Yeah, go ahead. Go oh, ahead. Okay. Uh Moving on. <laughs> Tell us the weirdest violin maker you ever met, because you know we're a strange bunch. We we want to know. We want to know your stories. Uh, the next episode that will come up after this one is called Luthier versus Yay. Luthier, and uh, it's a two-parter. Uh, the the first one we are going to have interviews with guitar makers who are mm-hmm. also luthiers. Um, the second half. We get really silly and we do a quiz show with uh, luthiers and make them answer a bunch of questions that Chris made up and award them. I feel like I was up. I was channeling something greater than myself rather than making them up. It was really fun. <laughs> Sorry, you weren't invited, Jerry. So, uh, Sorry. <laughs> uh, Next whatever, time, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so just, just a reminder, you can always find us on the socials. You can call the OMA phone and leave a message at 240-686-5345. Visit us at omopod.com at- to catch up on any episodes yes. you haven't listened to yet. Yes. Uh, we appreciate you guys. We want to hear from you. Uh, thank you for being a part of this community. Thank you for keeping mm-hmm. it real out there. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah, uh, stay with us, and we'll, we'll catch you next Bye. time. Bye. Oh, you got clamps right there? I'll just tell you guys where to put them on. See if that's good? Homo sapiens. Learning Trade Secrets is a fine stringed instrument making and restoration program where students and professionals can come and focus on specific topics of making and restoration to further their education and skills. That's right, Chris. Coming up July 14th through 19th is Retouching Varnish an exploration in techniques and materials with Stacy Styles.
I really she's so good. Oh, I, I want to get better at retouching. I want to do this. Oh, I just Stacy will do I it. Can't, I can't be out of town all the time. <sighs> well, you watch my kids and I'll go to this and tell you about it. Okay, deal. So tell me about Stacy. Stacy Styles was voted into the membership of the American Federation of Bow and of Federation of, <laughs> of <laughs> Violin and Bow Makers and was the first ever to be considered solely on the basis of restoration skills. Her scientific means for varnish analysis, cleaning, color, and varnish application to finishing off with final surface treatment and patina. Wait, patina. That's the word. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Professionals in the field will find this a valuable opportunity to develop and refine their skills. And I've seen the uh, the binders where she keeps the photos mm-hmm. with which she was given this this honor, which she deserves completely. Um, in order to join the Federation as a restoration person, you have to present them the instrument messed up and your plan. And then you have to come back and present them the restored instrument. And I have to say, if you're going for it and you can make a violin, make the violin. Because this is some serious uh, magna cum laude um, clout that she pioneered. Um, I got to say, if you want more information about this class, uh, it's going to fill up. Mm -hmm. But if, if you're looking for available benches for that or the courses offered by Learning Trade Secrets in the near future, please visit www.learningtradesecrets.com or look for their Facebook page. Invoke Sound plays our theme music.